And welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Having culled through a plethora of nerdcore artists, Matt takes the natural sidestep toward nerd rock by introducing Seattle man Kyle Stevens of Kirby Crackle. Apart from his role as frontman, singer-songwriter, and guitarist for the band, Kyle has tacked on founder of the Charging Hippo Brewing Company to his repertoire. As a band, Kirby Crackle has just released their latest LP, Mutate Baby, which can be found on Bandcamp alongside countless other releases. Also in Bandcamp, you can find the band's podcast, affectionately known as the Cracklecast. With Matt, Kyle discusses everything from his decision to pursue nerd rock, to Kyle and Matt's initial meeting at the New York Comic Con, to the origins of the song Booty Do Math, featuring previous guest Adam Warrock. And so, with complimentary digressions on comics, video games, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, here's presenting Matt Storm and Kyle Stevens. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Matt. How you doing? Good. How are you? Doing great, man. Thank you. I'm uh, I'm glad we got to do this. Um, for, me too. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm happy to finally get to have you on. For for the listeners who will be listening to this after the fact, um, a little backstory about me and Kyle. I met Kyle and um, another member of Kirby Crackle, whose name I'm blanking on, at Comic Con like three or four years ago. And it's back when my website was just a blog mostly, and I was supposed to set up some time to do some back and forth written email interview with Kyle and it just ended up never working out. We kept missing each other. couldn't schedule it. And so now that I have a podcast and I can just press record, I was like, let's do it. Let's get it done. And so here you are. So thank you. Totally. Yeah. You're of course you, yeah, you met uh, myself and Jim. That's right. Jim. Uh, who, yeah. He's no longer in the band, but he, yeah, he was in the band at that time. I remember that. Yes. And so we've been in on and off in contact since then. But now that I'm not running one, but two podcasts, I was like, now let's get Kirby Crackle on this podcast because the world should hear more about Kirby Crackle. Um, Thank you, man. Um, so I've been a fan for a long time. I have to say that um, Ring Capacity is still one of my favorite songs to play in rock band. Um, nice. Because screaming the oath to rock and roll is probably my favorite thing ever. You know, it just, it just kind of feels right, doesn't it? It does. It really does. Um, the first thing I want to talk about, of course, is you've got a brand new record coming out later this month. By the time this episode comes out, it'll already be out. But it's uh, Mutate Baby. So yeah. what's the plan for this new record? I mean, you've done lots of different and interesting stuff with all of your previous records. Is there a theme for this one? Is it still just going to be a great collection of nerdy hits? Is there a goal specifically writing-wise with this one? Yeah, you know... Um I kind of took the last year off of, of putting the pressure to do a record. We try to do a record every year, but last year I was like, let's just see what happens, you know, with the, with the transitionary stuff that's been going on, and and really kind of sitting down and thinking, you know, what kind of happens with with our music when when we kind of give it a little bit of space and have a little bit of perspective. Kind of took some time off touring the conventions, um, and so we wanted to do something that was true to what the fans love about our stuff, like high energy positive songs, but also kind of turn the dial a little bit and kind of explore some themes about kind of, you know, becoming your own superhero and finding your, your inner power and, and, and things that I have been 
told along the way that have benefited myself that I that I feel like everyone should hear. So um, there's a couple just kind of like, you know, you're awesome, do you, it's going to be okay songs on here that I think I was kind of like writing to myself, but then also writing for the fans too. And so um, people that have heard the record in advance say, you know, it sounds like Kirby Crackle, but it sounds like a little something else, which is, which is my goal. Well, that, I mean, that sounds great. And it's really cool to kind of see, hear about that kind of evolution. Cause I love when artists go in that direction. I mean, this actually connects to a question that I had wanted to ask you because somehow I man- managed to miss listening to your whole disog- discography. And I don't know how I missed this song, but uh, Booty Do Math, I didn't hear until very yeah. recently. And so okay. Adam Warrock is a former uh, guest of the podcast. He was on a little while back and uh, he's a f- yeah. friend of mine and a fan- I'm a fan of his. How did that connection with Booty Do Math happen with Adam? Well, you know, it's just kind of this, this kind of theme that we had going around. I think we wrote that song. That was in the Superpowered Love Record. So that was back in 2011. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of, what would it be? It would be funny to, to write a song about the struggle that I think a lot of people encounter in math. Uh, you know, uh, I continued to as an adult, but especially as a child, <laughs> I did. And, uh, and, and kind of like a schoolhouse Rocky theme, but kind of to like a early 90s TLC R. Kelly kind of vibe. Yeah. So that's kind of, that was the goal with that. And, and just kind of do something that was fun and a little quirky and made people just be like WTF when they heard it, you know? So that, that was the goal with that. And, and, and Adam, we'd started to, to kind of go back and forth with him about six months prior to that is kind of when he came on the scene. Yeah. So, you know, we said, we'd love to get you on this song. And, and he did the rap and he sent it to us and we put it in and to the magic of computers, uh, it's like he was right there in the studio with us. It's awesome. Yeah. And the connection bit is so Adam's last record, which I was a huge fan of his full, his full record, uh, the middle of nowhere had, had the same kind of evolution that you're talking about with mutate baby. He had a lot more personal tracks about just, you know, going through trials and tribulations that along with the nerdy songs that everyone comes to expect from him and his nerd core rap. So I think that it's kind of cool to watch an artist make that evolution where they connect on a personal level with their fans with very specific heartwarming songs that not aren't necessarily nerdy specifically, um, but yeah, mix that in I, with I, the stuff that they're known for doing. Yeah, because people, I mean, you kind of have, you know, a, a band, a band or a, or a rap artist or country artist, a folk artist, like, you know, you have an identity, you have a, a, a brand of music that people know you for and, and, and appreciate. And, and if you're lucky to get that feedback from your audience, you say, okay, this is what people enjoy what I do. Thankfully, it's what I enjoy what I do. So that's good. It's working for everybody. But also, let's just not do the same thing over and over again. And so, you know, we've had stuff on our other albums, like uh, songs come to mind, like um, Open Up Your Window, Needing a Miracle, Parachute. That I was, when we first started doing these kind of songs on the record in conjunction with our kind of character franchise songs, I was worried that people would connect with them. But as the years go on, people come up and say, you know, I love your comic stuff but I really like Parachute or I really like Meeting a Miracle. So that to me is a nice reinforcement that, okay, we're, we're on the right path, both for ourselves, but also for, for still connecting with the fans. And I'm very thankful for that. That's great. Um, the next question I have is another song specific question from your last record. Sounds like you, the song grandma's house, even though I'm pretty sure I know the answer is that your actual grandma on the end of the track. 
that is my actual grandma. And I took, uh, I took my iPhone over and I, <laughs> I said, grandma, you know, she said to me a little backstory my whole life. She said, honey, you're weird, but I love you. It's kind of yeah. just like a thing that she said to me since I was little. Mm-hmm. So I said, we got to get that on this track. And she goes, why? What are you doing? What are you doing? Why? Don't do that. What are you doing? I said, no, just say it. Okay. Say it a little faster. Say it a little slower. And then we took the best one that was in tempo and, and we put it in the track and, my dream is to get her to come out to a show and say that. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Sure. But that would that would be the next level. <laughs> so I can I can still hope. Well, that's great. Um, so um, uh, for those who don't know, listening to this episode, if you came across it just because you're a fan of Crash Chords, um, Kirby Crackle is a nerd rock band from Seattle. Um, how did you guys get your start, or you specifically, Kyle, since I'm on the phone with you, where did you get your start with music? Were you always into rock and roll? Did you always have this desire to do this kind of nerdy music? Did you start with something else? Well, I was, uh, the, the first cassette I ever got of my own were Motley Crue, Girls, 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 nice. and um, Michael Jackson, Bad, which I guess, like, looking back, I think those two combinations have pretty much ran through to my musical identity today, uh, which is just crazy stuff and then grooves. Um, and so I really got into, when I was 13, uh, was kind of the heyday of kind of grunge and Pearl Jam, Nirvana, and all those bands coming out. So I got my first guitar from my uncle, who was kind of a prominent R&B musician in Seattle uh, in the 70s in a band called Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he and I would just sit around at family gatherings after after dinner was done and he and I'd go in the back room, he'd show me how to play Blackbird by the Beatles or, or whatever Green Day song I was into at the time. And so it was kind of the first thing that I felt like I was kind of good at. Like, okay, I could, I enjoy this. And I kind of had a little knack for picking up stuff a little quicker than I did other things I had tried, like sports or, you know, video games, stuff like that. And so it was kind of, a magical time in my life where my, my best friends, they wanted to play instruments too. So one person picked drums, one person picked bass, one person picked another guitar. And we just kind of got together in a garage and slowly figured out how to do cool stuff. And so it was just kind of this gelling of, of dudes and puberty playing rock and roll. <laughs> nice. So it was just kind of this kind of special time that we all kind of had together and that's kind of how I got into stuff. Very cool. Um, and so the idea to create Kirby Crackle, um, uh, you know, a very distinctly nerd rock band, um, is that something that you, I mean, obviously I'm going to take a stab in the dark and assume all of this is authentic and you are actually a nerd yourself. Um, but where did the idea to steer in that direction come from? Is it just the material that was easiest for you to write? Well, you know, I had a dream of becoming a comic artist for a long time before I learned how to play guitar, and I realized I wasn't getting better at drawing at the rate that I that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, let's let's try to play some guitar. And so I kind of abandoned the dream of being a comic artist, and was like, okay, I'm going to play rock and roll and write songs. But this whole time, I was still reading comics and playing games and everything. And then I just, you know, in in 2007, I thought, you know, why doesn't anyone do this? Why doesn't anyone? write songs about comic book characters and I kind of shelved the idea and then uh, with my friends remembered the idea a couple of years later in 2009 and we thought okay let's put together you know songs about our favorite comics video games the first song we ever wrote was back to the beginning which is about Mario Kart and sure. so I remember when that song was finished we all kind of looked at each other and went whoa like is this 
is this as cool as you think that this is? Because we feel like this is pretty cool. Like, what other people think this is cool? I don't know, because it wasn't about a joke. You know, it was about the interpersonal relationships of the characters and kind of like our version of what we would do if we were able to write actual comics. Yeah. So it was very exciting. And then, you know, we did the first self-titled record uh, on the cheap in the home studio and, you know, didn't invest that much money into it because we didn't really know what was going to go. And then in the first six months of Kirby Crackle, I experienced much more uh, uh, fan participation, participation, excuse me, and, and feedback in a positive way than I had in anything else I had done the, the 15 years earlier. Wow. So, so for me, I was like, all right, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then, you know, the past six years have just kind of gone by really quick. Just we've been lucky to have, you know, great opportunities and very thankful to, to meet wonderful people along the journey we're on and, and hopefully the new record will take things a little bit further. That's great. Yeah. It, and, it, you know, there's a sincerity in your song writing, I think, too, that really connects like between songs like Parachute or even the song One More Episode, which I have deemed the unofficial anthem of me and my fiance because whenever <laughs> we watch TV, it's like, well, we should go to bed. We both have work in the morning. Oh, just 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 one more, like, you know. And so it mm-hmm. happened to us most recently with Agent Carter. We were watching it, and we were a few episodes behind, and it's like, you know, we should just watch one and go to bed. But we have one more. Let's just watch one more. So Why not, why, why not just make tomorrow miserable? Exactly. Because we're in today now. Um, yes, yes. And so that's what I like is, like, that song, after hearing one more episode, I'm like, this is exactly us. But it's anybody who's gotten addicted to that Netflix streaming kind of lifestyle. And so... Mm-hmm. It's it's very relatable, and I think that's it's honest and relatable, and that's what makes people connect to that kind of stuff. Thanks, man. I hope so. I mean, I I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan of what people like Bruce Springsteen have been able to do. Like you know, when when he was writing about the the dying towns and and Detroit and and, and the Midwest and people that were going through troubles, and he was singing about them. Like that that's something that I. That I always felt was really powerful, and so that's mm-hmm. what I try to do with Curry Crackles. I try to, I try to sing songs about stuff that I'm into first and foremost. I mean, there's tons of nerds. There's you can make it a job catching up on nerd and geek culture, as you know. You, know, you yeah, can spend sure. a whole day just being at Twitter and never be on top of everything. Yeah. So as much as I, I like to write about everything, I just I can't and and I but I just choose the things that I feel like I have a personal connection to, and like okay, I can't be the only one that feels like this about X subject. Yeah. And so stuff like one more episode or, or cozy pants o'clock or, you know, stuff like that. I feel like, okay, there has to be someone else that feels like that. And so if I, if I follow my instinct, um, it usually leads me to a good place. So, so I'm glad you enjoy that song. Cool. Um, so with the new record coming out this month, um, are you looking to go on tour after the record is released? Yeah, you know, we'll be, we'll be doing a, I'm just going to do an acoustic tour uh, in the spring on then hopefully a full band tour sometime in the summer and the fall. It's a, it's a little hard to take the full band, um, but I definitely want to get out there more and, and start playing um, uh, markets that we haven't done, like the Midwest and the South. We've done a lot of East Coast, West Coast stuff, but never really cut across the country. Um, and mm-hmm. then I also continue to do appearances at comic shops will bring me out or comic cons will bring me out as a guest and do kind of one-off things in places like Edmonton, like I did a couple of weekends ago. Um, we're looking to do more videos this time around. We didn't do that many videos, it sounds like you, but I actually just got back from doing a shoot today and just really trying to run with, with some 
fun ideas, and we've got a fantastic director that's working with us, and just really trying to kind of push harder on this record than I've done with the last one, and, and I think it's, I believe in this one in a way that, um, and I believe in all my records, but this one I feel very personally attached to, so I'm excited to see what people think. That's that's awesome, yeah. Um, well, if you make it out to the East Coast again, and if you haven't heard of The Way Station, which is a Doctor Who bar yeah. that a friend of mine owns, okay. Oh, cool. you, you should definitely do an acoustic set there. They would love it or full band set, but they're located in, in Prospect Heights in Brooklyn and their bathroom is a TARDIS. So, Whoa. yeah, uh, it's, it's a built TARDIS. It's bigger on the inside. Um, the bar was yeah, opened and owned by my friend Andy Heidel and, and it's a great nerdy place where people get together and like, there's no pretense. There's no awkwardness. There's rarely any dude bros or hipsters. It's just very much a place where nerdy people go to drink and hang out and they have music every night. So So if you find yourself in New York, let me know in advance and I'll, I'll hook you up with their booker so you can, can play a set. I think people would really dig it. Thank you. That'd be great. Um, my next question is, which I like to ask, I've interviewed a few nerdcore rappers as well. And so whenever talking about nerdy or topical or very specific subject matter, I like to ask if there's a song that you've kind of come up with a concept for, like for a fandom that you really wanted to write, but just you couldn't make it work for whatever reason. Does that come up? Does that happen? Yeah, you know, it does. And it kind of goes back a little bit to what I was saying is people... People always say, oh, you should write a song about this. You should write a song about that. And they're right, I should. But if, if, I don't have the, if I don't have something unique to say about it, I feel like a poser trying to do it. And I, <laughs> and I always say, like, would I be able to sniff me out? You know, like, if I heard sure. someone say this, would this sound authentic? And the answer is usually, you know, no, and I move on. You know, if, if I have gotcha. doubts, my doubts pretty much tell me, like, okay, you don't know. You know, I would love to do... You know, people are like, you should do a, a Fox song with Leonard Nimoy passing. And, and I'm like, I would love to. I just don't know if I have anything important to say that hasn't been said already. And and maybe, I think that's maybe someone else's song to write, that kind of thing. Um, there's a lot of DC characters that I'd like to write about. But I kind of have bits and pieces that are evolving over the years, but until it's right, um, you know, I, I've said in other interviews for years that I feel like crackleheads, as we call our fans, and they let us call them, thankfully, uh, we we kind of we kind of this loyalty back and forth, you know, where where we don't bullshit them, they don't bullshit us, and so it's it's always kind of like a peace between nations, kind of like the village if you've seen <laughs> that movie. <laughs> you know? So and and I've and I and I take that very seriously, and so you know I would rather not put something out for a year than put out stuff that I don't feel 100% behind. Cause I feel like the fans would be able to sell at this point, so. Um, that's why I'm so excited to put out Mute Baby because I feel 110% behind it and, and people seem to be excited. Yeah, I, and I think, it, you know, with the accessibility that people have to artists now, it's pretty uh-huh. easy to tell when they're not sincere or when they're not authentic, you know. If you're just yeah. watching how they operate in life between Twitter or Facebook or whatever else, it's like you have this access to these artists and you see what they say and what they do. So you can very easily catch well that doesn't make sense based on what he sang about why i don't understand um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i mean just honesty and niceness in general is important i think in life which a lot of people forget so you know yeah i think it's the nicest thing i mean it's the most important thing ever i I feel like that more every month when i encounter things i'm just like wow you know things that you think is like common sense stuff or a way of treating people it's not for a lot of people so i think it's like people whose goal is to make that their number one thing. Like, I don't care about making a million dollars. I care about 
treating people well. And, and that's the thing that when you're gone, people will look back and remember you. They're not like, oh, he had a cool car. You know, they'll be like, I felt good when I was around X person or I felt good when I listened to that person's music. And that's, that's what I hope Kirby Crackle is for people because there's just so much stuff trying to get your attention all the time and trying to sell you. And we allow ourselves to be purchased by things and do yeah. brands tell us what I, if there's anything I want Kirby Crackle to be associated with, it's like, I feel good. And, and that I think is, that's, that's the road I'm chasing. Well, and, and I think you're definitely achieving that. I mean, just based on what I've gotten out of your music, I definitely get that. Um, a follow-up music writing question. When you're putting together a song, do lyrics tend to come first and then you kind of put a song around it, you know, instrumentation, or does the instrumentation come first and then you write lyrics, or does it go back and forth? You know, my whole life before before Kirby Crack, like half my songwriting life, it was always like music first and then lyrics. But because Kirby Crackle is so theme-driven, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, topical to, to nerd culture is kind of our MO. I, I kind of, and I kind of have these things written down, sometimes very detailed, sometimes just a phrase or like, hey, a Norman Reedus song, what would I say? I don't know, but I, I like the idea of that. And then sometimes I'll just have a riff and I'll kind of think like, okay, what, what does this remind me of? Or I'll go to my journal and see what, what songs I'm playing with. So it's always different. Um, but, but for me, it's kind of, I, the thing that's unique, at least the way I do things compared to when I talk to my friends and, and everyone does it in a different way, but I kind of just get like mumble, a mumble melody. Hmm. And then if that's kind of stuck in my head and it wakes me up in the middle of the night or I wake up with my foot tapping or the temple of the thing, then I know like, okay, follow, let's follow that role a little bit and see what that does. Because I love, I love pop hooks. Like I love the, you know, Say what you will about the Backstreet Boys and Avril Lavigne or all those kind of people like that, but all those songs are written by this guy named Max Martin. Oh yeah, sure. And and to me, I'm like you know, regardless of if you're a fan of the style of music, you have to respect that that person, what they do, can capture the ears and the heart of millions of people all over the world repeatedly. Yeah. So to me, that's kind of like magic. And so I'm always trying to chase that thing, the thing that get stuck in people's head, not in like a bubblegum pop crappy way, but in like a, a feel good way or, or kind of like a, a rhythm pattern that's interesting. Um, so that's in the past couple of years for me, it's kind of been my initial deal when I write. Well, yeah, and I get, I definitely hear that in the music. I mean, like I was saying earlier, the, my favorite song rock band is Ring Capacity, which is also one of the first songs I heard by you guys. And my thing about Ring Capacity is it's, when I first heard it, I grew up, I'm a kid of the 90s, so I grew up listening to bands like Matchbox 20 and Eve 6, and Third Eye Blind, like alternative rock yeah. and rock and roll bands. And so I heard this, that song and I heard the riff and I was like, oh, cool. It sounds like alt rock. And then I heard the lyrics and I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Like, what's that about? I'm sorry. Yeah. And then I was instantly hooked because it was catchy first. And then I got the, the theme almost immediately and was like, well, okay, I'm in now. Green Lantern, my favorite hero. And it's my favorite genre of music. Let's, let's, let's go along for the ride. And well, that's, I, that's what we want, man. It's like, you know, and, and also we want people, we want people to, we want people to not just like our stuff because it's nerdy. We want people to like it because they feel like the songs are good. And yeah. it's like, I that that's my number one goal. And I think that's where some groups maybe before us didn't really get the engine going is that 
you know, yelling Spider-Man, Spider-Man, at least to me, does not a nerd rock song make. That kind of becomes like a joke or a shtick, you know? It's like, yeah. that's like we, we want to talk about you know, the relationship between Peter and, and Uncle Ben and Aunt May and what's it like to be a badass but also no one knows you are. Like, that kind of stuff to me is infinitely more interesting. But if the song doesn't capture you musically or the melody isn't interesting, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, uh, and I don't expect people to either. Yeah, and I find like I saw that I'm I'm fr- I've made friends with a lot of musicians in the nerd scene, whether it's nerdcore, comedy music, or or your nerd rock. And I have a lot of friends who are in comedy bands, and the good ones who do it right are if you have a punchline, the music has to be good to get you there, and the whole song has to you know either be about it or build to it. If you just kind of have a one-line joke and you're just like repeating it over and over again, it doesn't really make a connection. But like a song like Grandma's House is funny because, I mean, you're singing about very matter-of-fact stuff about partying at your grandma's house, but it's in this kind of R&B, hip-hop kind of you know party song kind of framework, and that's the joke. But it's also a well-made song to go with it. You know, you can't just have a punchline. You have to have a good song to get you there. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was telling an interview the other day, I never really talked about this before then, but when I was, you know, when I was doing, we'll just call it, I would call it like regular rock music, music, (laughs) not not nerd rock stuff for lack of a better term, but it was kind of in the the vein, a little bit of what I'm doing now, but a little less experimental than this is in terms Uh of time changes and stuff. And, I would submit my stuff to record labels back when you could do that, indie record labels and stuff, and that was the goal still before iTunes. And I mean, iTunes was just starting, but the whole thing was like, you get on a label, that's what you do. And yeah. No way could you ever think of making something like Patreon or Kickstarter work for, for your life. Yeah. And so the, the feedback that I, w- I would always get back was, your songs are all over the map, this doesn't sound like one band. And I get that. I mean, if I was selling Grandma's House or a song like Ring Capacity, a label saying this is one band that doesn't make sense the yeah. label's trying to sell a product but what's been so great about Kirby Crackle fans is they've allowed what I was always told was a weakness to be what we use as a strength now in terms of like the connective tissue is the weird and the nerd stuff and the geek themes and the characters but the music I can do whatever I want now and as long as I have that connective tissue though between everything, people are along for the ride. So I'm just so thankful that that fans accept that for for what we do. Well, I think also a lot of it comes from this Bandcamp community now too, because with with indie you know indie websites like Bandcamp and SoundCloud and all that stuff, you can put anything up. I mean, literally anything. Yeah. And so they you can't be stopped from putting it up. So then when they go and check it out and see it's out there. Um, they go, oh, this is the same band that did this? And you can just jump from record to record. I mean, even with like Spotify, like my biggest time sink as a music fan is I will click on, say I click on an Adam Warrock song and then I see he sang with MC Frontalot. And then you can click on MC Frontalot's name in Spotify and it takes you to all of MC Frontalot stuff. And then from there, he sang with some other guy. And it's just, you go through this wormhole of artist to artist to artist and you can discover all of their stuff and you couldn't do that before you know yeah yeah it's, it's great it's really fun i mean the as an artist i i love that i have the accessibility to getting my stuff up there i mean the other day i don't know if you remember when the when the llamas went wild yeah and i saw you put up a song 
Yeah, and I, there's an experiment because I'm because I feel like I'm usually late to the game with that, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, what happens? What happens if you do it three hours afterwards? Which I knew was a little early, but I'm like, let's just see, you know. And it's like not a long song; it's more just like a short little commentary. I didn't market it as like, hey, this is our badass new song. It was more just like a little wink. But it's like it's amazing that you can do that yeah. and then get that information out to your fans. The bad thing about it is that there's so much noise yeah. now that people have to cut through to find exactly what they're looking for. So it's a it's the balance of the universe. Like that's how it or how it exists in independent music. But it's it's really fascinating. I mean, if you told us ten years ago it was gonna be like this, it would just be a dream. Well yeah. Well and I say I have another my the other podcast that I do with two other co hosts is an album review show that we do weekly. And I've said several okay. times when we've talked about pop music on it, because we do an album review on a topic and of many a time we've brought up pop music as a whole. And I always say with the internet culture and YouTube now, music has never been better ever in our lifetime, but it's also never been worse at the same time. Because I think you're exactly right. Because anything can get out there. I mean, I'm grateful for it because I now have two podcasts and a fairly successful blog because you can put anything out there and people can find it, you know, and they can yeah. find it from it. Um, but, you know, it also, there's terrible stuff that makes it online and you hear it and go, oh, because there's no one to stop them and say, well, this is terrible. Don't put it up. You know, it's kind of. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and so it's, you know, but then you're just more, you need to self-police yourself more, I think, which is what it comes down to. You know what you like, so you have to look for that. Yeah, and kind of to know, I mean, so, someone told me one time, they go, your music or your website or anything you do, putting it out there to the world is the, is the clothes that you walk into a room with. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I've looked at, you know, and so you look at bands like, you know, uh, Pearl Jam or or Green Day or like you said, Matchbox Twenty or or well crafted pop groups. It's like they have a definite thing they're trying to do, and everything comes back to that core value. Like yeah. you know, like I can write a grandma's house song, but everything comes back to you know songs about what it's like to be a nerd and whatever year we're in and what's kind of going on around that time, reference wise. So it's. Like you said, it's self-policing, which some people do better than others, and I'm definitely still learning about that all the time. I think I will be all the time, and you know, hopefully, always trying to evolve with that. Um, to shift gears a bit now, um, I wanted to first ask you, as I do often, nerdy guests, which we have quite a few, as I am a nerd myself. What is the nerdiest new thing that you're into? Be it comic books, video games, music. Is there a thing that you're really, really into right now? I'm really into trying to find new games um, and play just like weird little PS4 arcade games and stuff like that. Like, like just like no name, no name indie, indie music games, basically I would say, and try those. And like the names are saving me right now, but some of them are great. Some of them are not so good. Uh, the thing that I've really been into lately is drones, those little drones that you can get off Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, have you ever played with a drone or anything like that? I haven't. I've heard about them, but I haven't played with them. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess you could say those are nerdy, but I think they're about to go mainstream pretty soon here. As <laughs> I, My theory is the, the government's letting us have all the drones we want, so when they introduce the drones, they're like, hey, it's no big deal. Everyone's got them. That's a, <laughs> that's a different, that's, a, that's a for a conspiracy podcast. <laughs> but it's so funny with these drones because you can just shoot them up like 800 feet until they're gone. Like, yeah. you can go out to a football field, 
you just shoot it up and it's just up in the blue. And then eventually it'll just come down. And that's been really fun. Like my little brother and I have been like chasing each other. There's a little camera in the front and nothing like those big, crazy expensive ones, but sure. you can get a $40 one and break it and not feel bad about it. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, who would you say is, I mean, we were talking about it a little bit before you were comparing your stuff to for Springsteen, the fact that you're trying to do stuff for like the every nerd, but who would you say is one of your biggest influence either as a songwriter or as a musician? Do you have a, a pinpointed influence that stands up above the rest? Yeah, you know, I think it's just kind of what was going on in the Seattle scene in my formative years. You know, when when I, I know it's not cool, to, at least if you're from Seattle, it's not cool to be like, oh, that time was so awesome. But you know, I was 13 <laughs> when that happened, and yeah. to me, that was that, that was like my rock god. It was not like I was 21 and one of those guys' friends being like, "Geez, won't the world leave us alone?" Like you know, to me, <laughs> I literally thought. When I left North Seattle and I went downtown, I was going to see Eddie Vedder playing basketball with Kurt Cobain or something. Like, that was, <laughs> that I really believed that was happening. And I would look like, I'm going to see this. I just need to keep my eyes open. So, for me, it's, you know, I think it's formed, you know, with the songwriting of Stone Gossard from Pearl Jam. I know a big part of my DNA is that um, the lyrical melodies of, of people like Chris Cornell or Matthew Sweet, stuff that is, Stuff that is pretty, but not sugary. Stuff mm-hmm. that has a little bit of a melancholy and a little bit of bend in terms of the inflection mm-hmm. and a little bit of soul. You know, like I, I kind of think somewhere my median is alternative rock and roll with a little bit of R&B and some, and some weird Al in there somewhere. Sure. But, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, like everyone says, did you grow up listening to Weird Al? Like I did, but not as much as I feel like everyone else did. I was just kind of, I just thought weird stuff was kind of funny. And and because of what we do, people really compare it, compare us to Weird Al, which is great. I mean, there's way worse people to be compared to. I love Weird Al. So anything that kind of makes, anything that's a 4-4 beat and a big bar chord, I was into when I was in my kind of musical form of years. Um, Would you say that... uh that all of that is pretty much what eventually led. I mean, it, it sounds like that's all what eventually led you to Kirby Crackle. Um, d- when you first started trying to put uh, a band together around Kirby Crackle specifically, did you say looking for guys to play in a nerdy band or did you just kind of like meet with musicians and, and, and see what it was like and then kind of come up with the concept? Well, Kirby Crackle, uh, when my, when my then bandmate Jim, the Malcolm and I, uh, started Kirby Crackle. He was really into comic books uh, and the comic industry. Uh, he owned some shops in Seattle, and I had been in bands forever, and I wanted to play in that sandbox. So we combined forces, and, and then we did the record just the two of us and put it out. And then when it was obvious, like, hey, people want to hear the full band, not just me playing acoustic shows all the time, I had my buddies, a uh, group of guys in the lineup, basically the entire Kirby Crackle tenure uh, from E for Everyone up until still going on Mute Day Baby, um, guys that I had known from the music scene who I always want to play with and luckily were available during that time. And so, though they aren't as big, and I mean, they're they're into comics and video games and stuff, but I wouldn't say they would feel like a quote-unquote like comic nerd. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as, as we're learning in the past couple of years and even more so in the next couple, like pop culture, excuse me, geek culture just becoming pop culture. Yeah. So it's like, hey, are, are you into Avengers? Yeah. Does that mean you like comics? Maybe not, but you love Captain America. I mean, the lines are blurred everywhere. Sure. And so 
that so I said, hey guys, this is what this is. Does that sound fun to you? And they're like, hell yeah, let's do that. And and you know, all the time we talk about the opportunities that they have been able to have that they would have never had if they didn't do this nerd rock crazy thing that I sold to them. <laughs> so so yeah, they they are great and they are are a big inspiration for me and my songwriting. Knowing that if I write something, I know they can pull it off. I turn in my guitar player Patrick and, and say, hey, man, I need like a kick-ass solo here. I know he can do it. And so everyone kind of, it's cool playing for like five or six years now that everyone knows their role and that they know how they can best serve a song. Mm-hmm. And they know how they can, they, they know where I want it to go to a degree. And they, yeah. they, they know how to read between the lines. Excellent. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is something a little off topic from music, but as I recall, you have a, a brewery of some kind. Is that correct? Yeah. So yeah, why don't um, you tell the listeners a little bit about it? Because I, I, I know about it because you post about it on Facebook, but I'd like for you to share with the audience who will be listening what, what that is and what you're doing with it. Totally. Uh, what's called Charging Hippo Brewing Company. And um, it was uh, the idea started about, 2011, when um, I had really been getting into the craft beer scene, checking out breweries in the Seattle area, and learned how to homebrew. And just like any home brewer, you know, after their first beer, they're like, I can start a brewery. You know, (laughs) (laughs) the big fantasy dream starts. Uh, And so um, basically just kind of going around in different cities, whatever city we would have a convention in or have a show on tour. Uh, for the past six years, I would go visit some breweries in that area and talk to the local brewers and just learn as much as I can from, from everyone who's been doing it professionally. And uh, the business model that we found worked out for us, um, while still being able to do Kirby Crackle, is brew very small batches uh, in Seattle and get our stuff out to the Seattle bar. So, uh, I, you know, Crackleheads all over for the past year. We Our, our beer has been available commercially for the past year. They go, where can I get it? Where can I get it? Unfortunately, only in Seattle at this moment. Um, but, you know, if, if you've been paying attention to anything in the craft beer scene, there's like a new brewery every day, new uh, new avenues to get stuff out there, more support across the board for craft beer. So, um, you know, not quote-unquote Kirby Crackle Beer is how we market it, but uh, we definitely tie in fun stuff like the 2814 IPA and, and kind of put little winks to, to our fans in there as well. That's awesome. And it's, it's, that's what I like. I love about kind of modern. And I, I mean, they're jacks of all trades all over time, but like, I feel like now more than ever, um, people don't just do one thing. Like if you're only doing one thing, you're not doing enough anymore in society. You know, yeah. like you've got to have a million jobs. Like, I mean, I run a website and two podcasts, but that's not even my day job. My day job is an office job, you know? And I still feel like I have not enough time or too much time rather, and I should be doing more stuff, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, the trappings of modern living, the gift and the curse. I always say it's like, yeah. you know, when I, when I have three hours of free time, what do I do? I usually fill it with, okay, what can I do for Kirby Crackle? What can I do to get charged forward more? But I, I've been trying to, at least just me trying to give myself more refreshing time. Cause I find mm-hmm. when I do that, then I can actually be more inspired for doing work. And it's kind of, it's kind of a, uh, a habit. I think people like yourself and myself and other entrepreneurs develop, which is there's not enough hours in the day. 
but also people like us, there's never going to be enough hours in the day. Right, because you'll fill it with yeah. something. Yeah, you'll fill it with something. And so you're right. I, I think it's good to have multiple irons in the fire. Um, you know, my dad is kind of the same way. And we always say, like, we teach each other, like, you know, what are you throwing to stick at the wall this week? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and and, and some, some stuff fails very silently. And other stuff that should be a huge success uh, doesn't land as big. But, but we keep throwing stuff, right? So I think it's part of just doing, doing life. Um, when you're performing live, um, either acoustically or with the full band, are there certain songs that you just really enjoy performing over others? I mean, I know it's, it's hard to ask a father who their favorite children are, but are there specific songs that you really get a kick out of performing live over others? You know, there are, I think um, it's, it's the one that I feel the crowds enjoy the most. Like from the beginning, when we do our song roll over and the chorus people go, Hey, and I go roll over and they go, Hey, like the first time that happened, that blew my mind. Cause I never <laughs> had that, Yeah. you know? And so I feel like stuff like that. I always say, I'm very thankful that I feel like for a smaller band, we get to experience things because of our fan base and, and the culture that we perform for that are usually reserved only for much bigger bands. I'm talking in terms of like, fan relationships or, or the way people interact at concerts. Um, and so stuff that's like a lot of crowd sing-along stuff I really enjoy, which is why purposefully on this new record, I put that in there. Like yeah. I put, I put very distinct, this is when the crowd sings stuff and you can hear gang vocals that we did because I want more of that. And I think fans want from what people tell me, like we love when you do that. So, so this was like, okay, what, what can we do to create an album that is so fun to play live? It's so hard to pick what songs off this record are we going to play? So that's what we tried to do with it. Right. Well, and I, and I think that come, definitely comes across, even in, in your older stuff, where you may not have intentionally put that in. I mean, you get a sense of these moments where, oh, we can all sing here. Like, we can all get involved. Um, speaking to your fans, I thought it was very fascinating when I was reading about the Geekiest Hits Volume 1, which it sounds like you kind of pooled information together based on your fans and what they really like to put this album together. I mean, obviously, it's some of the biggest songs that are the most popular off your previous records. But how did the yeah. idea to c come together to do a Geekiest Hits Volume 1? Well, we kind of, you know, we we had done four records and one live record and a couple EPs. And so when we would do comic cons, people would come up to our table and they're like, well, where, like, where do we start? You know what? <laughs> and like, what, like, well, these songs are really popular off this record and these four are off this one. So what I wanted to do is like, okay, it was kind of the five year anniversary of the band. And, and what can we do to kind of put a little time stamp on that first five years, you know? And these are not all songs that have sold a million copies or anything. These are, <laughs> these are songs, these are songs that my mom really likes. No, no, these are songs that are like, like like fans really like and and songs that mean a lot to me. There's a couple on there that I know aren't like the biggest Kirby Crackle songs over, but for me I felt like these were the ones that I um, you know, needing a miracle or parachute, ones that I feel like are important for the catalog. Mm -hmm. So if someone you know, if Kirby Crackle ended today, what are what are the twenty songs that I would want people to know us about? And so, you know, besides a couple of them, most of those lined up with what fans would think overall as well. So it's kind of like a little stamp in a way that people get caught up and, you know, it's digital only. So we didn't really reprint that because you can get all the stuff on physical disc. But so it was fun to do and then kind of like, okay, then look forward to to writing and recording Mute Tape Baby, which took 
most of 2014. And so is that record done? Are all the songs finished? On Mite Baby? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I got I got a box of CDs in my garage, and we're starting to ship them out uh, next week. Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it comes out on the 17th. Excellent. And um, yeah. so, and it's funny, honestly, when I first, uh, when I saw the title Mutate Baby, I thought maybe there was a nod to um, U2 and Octung Baby, which is one of their yeah. album names. Is that is that an intention? Was that something you were thinking about when you named it, or is it just kind of worked out that way? It just kind of worked out that way. I mean, I was aware, you know, like, like anytime you name a record or something, you Google stuff and you just, you know, it used to be you flip through Rolling Stone or ask all your friends and say like, yeah. Hey, have you ever heard a record called this? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Sure. But I, but I kind of, I wanted to do something that was in line with, with what we do. We sing about superheroes and video games and comic books, but also, you know, kind of evolving this year and, and what is it like to become, to try to become the best version of yourself or a band based on everything you've learned in the past five years. And, and it's almost like a, it's, it's meant to be a celebration. You know, it's meant to be like, you say baby, just kind of like <laughs> do your thing. You know, that's, that's how it's meant to be said. At least when I hope people read it like that, sure. the exclamation point and everything capital. So I thought it was fun and, and I hope the people think it was fun and, and people seem to get a kick out of it. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a call to arms we're trying to do here awesome well i mean just based on the, the one song that you've released so far um i think it sounds great and i'm excited to hear the rest of it um before we start to wrap up i have a very difficult question to ask you first since you're a comic book fan do you have a preference do you have a favorite between dc and marvel do you prefer one over the other or do you just enjoy both you know, I there are parts of DC I like, but I have to say, like overall, I'm a Marvel dude. And then, since we're talking about Marvel, do you have a favorite Marvel hero of all time, either from your childhood or now? Yeah, you know, my favorite is Colossus, and most of that is just based on character design and the way he's always been drawn from the Jim Lee days on. Oh like, yeah. I just thought there was something so cool about the metal. And he was just silent. I mean, I don't know. I know way more about the, the, the character mythology of like Wolverine or Gambit or, or, you know, Captain America, stuff like that. But, you know, if you came over to my house, I have a whole shelf of Colossus busts and sideshow display stuff. And so that's just, it's just kind of like a visual that I've always been really inspired by. Um, and kind of like, you know, the, the protector, but also very sensitive on the inside. And that's, I just thought he was very interesting as a character visually and, and behind the scenes. Well, I always thought like when, when the seminal nineties cartoon, the X-Men cartoon came out on Fox and I saw the, cause he was only in like one episode when they go to Russia uh -huh. and they show him transform even as being, just being a cartoon. I remember watching it going, that's cool. Like that yeah. guy's awesome. You know? And then of course getting to see it come to fruition in, and uh, the later X-Men movies where they actually show him transform um, is, it's pretty neat. It's cool to watch. I feel like so underused, man, in those X-Men yeah. movies. Like when that happened, I was like, that's it. And all my friends knew I'd be freaking out. Like, yeah. That's it? Like, no. <laughs> you know, I understand we're not going to get any like red and yellow tunics. Like that's fine. Like that's, yeah. not, that's not what they were going for, but. I don't know. What, the, the weirdest thing about the new Deadpool movie is I guess Colossus is supposed to be a big character in it. And I don't, I don't get how that goes. But Yeah, that, that doesn't seem to make much sense. I mean, 
there's still hope for Fox to wake up because, I mean, Sony signed a deal with Marvel. Now we get Spider-Man and Civil War, which I'm excited about. So I'm so excited for that. Well, the thing about that is like I'm so I'm a I'm a a true to comic book form nerd to a point like it doesn't have to be identical. But there's certain things that you need for certain things to work and it would have been impossible for the Civil War story to work without Spider-Man. He's such an important yeah. part of that story change when he goes to Tony's side, spoiler alert, when he goes to Tony's side and and reveals his identity, it was like he bowled over the Marvel Universe. So they need that for yeah. the movies, and I'm so glad they're going to have it. The only thing I'm upset about is we're going to get another stupid origin movie because they're recasting him again. And we know how he becomes Spider-Man. You don't have to tell us. There's not a person going to the movies who by now with two origin stories in the theaters plus all the comic books doesn't know how he got his powers. I know, man. Maybe they'll surprise us. I don't know. It's, yeah. It's, they they got to sell tickets, but also they got to not spend all the rest of stuff. Yeah. Well, no, that's true. I mean, overall, though, I've been very happy with the newer Marvel movies. Once they got their own studio, I mean, there hasn't been one that I didn't like. Some were better than others, but they've all been great and super interconnected, and it's I enjoy them a lot. Yeah, and that's nothing... As far as I know, nothing like this in movies has been done before that's been going on this long and have gone, you know, like in terms of like the, the all the single movies and the origin movies and linking them together. I mean, DC, DC, God bless them. They want their Avengers so bad yeah. that, you know, they're cramming everyone into Batman, Superman, from what, from all accounts. But, you know, I, I hope it's good. I, I like the new Aquaman look. Yeah. I feel like that bad, badass Pacific Islander and incorporating, you know, Jason Momoa's tattoos and the design. I think that's really cool. And so let's, let's hope that stuff is good. Yeah. I mean, Superman got it in its own way with the new movie. Henry Cavill wasn't that bad, but but the writing was. So it's like, yeah, I, agree. I, I, I want I, I want it to be good, too, because like I was crushed. So my favorite DC hero is the Green Lantern, um, Hal Jordan specifically. Yeah. And. I wanted to like the Ryan Reynolds movie so much, but it was just so poorly put together. I was so disappointed, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I really want DC to do great things because I want those great movies. They're killing it on TV, but they're not connecting that universe. So it's like, why even bother, you know? Yeah, that's that's the genius about what Marvel's doing. It's all connected. It's, you know, when people come and guest star in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Or, yep. You know, it's, it's great. Yeah, no, I'm in, I'm enjoying it too. And like that, getting that moment, like you were talking about before, how they've never really done this in movies, that moment when you're sitting in the theater for the first Avengers movie, the first time you're seeing it, and you just, you get to see these heroes connect and interact when they hadn't at all before, or very barely. It just, mm-hmm. there's something about that feeling as a nerd, especially as someone who ha- has such a, a heart for that kind of cool team up stuff getting that cool team up movie that made sense and worked was kind of incredible. It's like in the old comics when you would see, you know, on an interview the other day we were talking about like the Marvel swimsuit, excuse me, swimsuit edition. Yeah. And you'd see like, you know, Colossus sitting by the pool and then Psylocke and Wolverine playing volleyball. I mean, that's the thing that Marvel did that DC never did, at least for me, is it's like, well, these are like real people. Yeah. You know, and these are people that you like hang out and have a beer and then also, like, chase each other around in the sand and, like, have a softball game. It's kind of like when the Fallon Show and Daily Show get together and play softball. Like, that's, like, a yeah, exactly. version of that to me. Um, no, yeah, it's definitely, I agree. Like, it's we're in a renaissance for comic book movies, and I haven't gotten sick of them yet. There are certain kinds I've gotten sick of, but the Marvel kind of still hasn't struck out yet. So, 
Yeah. I, I keep hoping that they won't. I'm leery about Ant-Man because my favorite director is not a part of it anymore. I really like Edgar Wright. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we'll see. I, I, I'm at a point now where they've won me over every time. So I'll go see him until I absolutely hate one of them, which I don't think will happen. Yeah, they're down a thousand so far, I think. Yeah. Um, well, Kyle, I want to take, thank you for taking the time to chat with me. I'm glad that we finally got to connect and I can have you on the site. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Is there anything besides obviously mutate baby, uh, that you want to promote coming up for all of the folks listening out there with Kirby crackle? Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, so we've got our the mutate baby, uh, TV release show record release show is also crackle Fest five this year at the hard rock cafe at Rope city comic con. Uh, you can find tickets online at curvycracklemusic.com. And uh, and a lot of fans still don't know that we have a Kirby Crackle Music fan club, and that launched about uh, six months ago. And what that is is through the Patreon website, where mm-hmm. fans uh, for $4 a month can receive two exclusive songs that people won't get anywhere else except on the fan club. So we've been having a lot of fun with that, and you also get you know, our, our How to Play KK series, instructional videos, how to play the songs, performance videos, uh, stupid drawings that you guys can make <laughs> fun of us for because we don't know how to draw, uh, ringtones, stuff like that. And, and so we've been having a lot of fun. It's been a way, a place where, like, hardcore Kirby Crackle fans can connect and we can go back and forth about whatever we're going to do in a kind of a more intimate setting. So if people are interested, uh, KirbyCrackleMusic.com. We're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, yeah, the hub, KirbyCrackleMusic.com. Awesome. Thank you again, Kyle, for taking the time. If you ever find yourself in New York for an extended period of time, I'd love to have you on the other podcast. We review an album from track to track, from beginning to end. Not your work, but some other work. Maybe that inspired you that came out. And so if you're ever in town, we should definitely do that. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Um, And this will be out. We're we're a bi-weekly show, and we have a few other episodes scheduled to come out before it. But by the end of March, for sure, it'll be out. And I'll make sure when it goes up to put a link to the record, which will be out by then, and promote the hell out of it. And I'll send it your way once it's published. That's great, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Kyle. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, man. Adios. If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.